Welcome to the Staking Defense Podcast, a show where we talk to validators and key stakeholders in the crypto infrastructure world. My name is Kevin, and I'll be your host. Staking Defense aims to offer candid discussions about the state of decentralization and use the validator perspective to shed light on what is happening under the hood of some of your favorite protocols. We've got a mission, the same unifying vision that brought a lot of us into crypto. So while the term decentralization feels a bit tired at this point, it's something we want to promote and protect with these conversations. Today I'm speaking with Adam Afrima, a co-founder and core contributor to the SSV network, along with SSV CMO Taylor Ryan and Global BD lead Matthias Ang. SSV is an implementation of Distributed Validator Technology, or DBT, which enables Ethereum validators to run portions of their validator key, called key shares, across a distributed trustless network. Its aim is to reduce single points of failure in the Ethereum ecosystem, allowing validators to distribute their operation across multiple nodes. Thank you guys for your time today. I'm really excited for this conversation. I'm glad Lucas could tee this up. I definitely did a, a deep dive on SSV over uh, the past couple of days and yeah, riding high off of ETH Denver. It was really good energy out there. Were you guys at ETH Denver? We were. We were actually sponsoring the event over there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, we had a few presentations on stage. Um, it was a pretty hectic event, but it was pretty good. Yeah, it had like a, a charming amount of disorganization. I like I honestly would have been upset if it was more organized because then I would have been led astray uh in the sort of origin story of ETH Denver being a little more grassroots and, and everything. So pleasantly surprised there. Some time yeah. on the beanbags, getting comfortable. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot going on over there. It was a pretty pretty good experience. It was first time for me. Uh my yeah. team uh has been there like uh two, three times in the past. So it was pretty, pretty intense, but all, all in all, a uh, great experience. Yeah. Great. Well, we can get started. I would love if y'all could introduce yourselves and uh, SSV network and, and sort of how the project came to be. Um, perfect. So I'll, I'll walk you through sort of maybe a bit about my background and how we got started doing, you know, Ethereum staking. So Basically, the, the company itself started, I think, back in 2016. We did a lot of uh, projects around um, blockchain infrastructure and normalizing blockchain data and connecting to a lot of exchanges and created a backend for companies to basically manage their treasury. Um, so we served a lot of you know, the biggest and the best in the industry from 0x to crypto.com all the way to eToro uh, and this goes on. So quite a large client roster. And then the transition to POS kind of gradually came to me. Um, it became more and more pronounced in the space. So a lot of our customers back then, which we had some sort of an exposure to their treasury and the way they manage it and you know bookkeeping functions and the rest, they told us, listen, we want to allocate some of our assets um, from treasury management perspective to POS and Ethereum staking is coming. We want to get ready. We have a lot of Sort of background in you know running blockchain infrastructure. My co-founder actually contributed code to um, Ethereum uh, before they launched Ethereum, and and for quite some time after. So he, we are very you know say versed in that space, and we are really connected to everything Ethereum. So we thought, right? So POS is a pretty journalistic 
kind of uh, world, right? You can stake different assets back then. Um, what we, want, we really wanted to focus on was Ethereum. So we created this um, non-custodial Ethereum staking service called Block Staking. Basically allowed people to easily run sort of solo staking validators. Uh, you told me uh, before you got started, you run a, a solo uh, validator. Uh, we saw a lot of issues with that. So we wanted to have a best-in-class security to be as distributed as possible. Um, and basically to be the only service in the space that doesn't manage uh, a withdrawal key or a validator key. So we went ahead and do that. And basically that like, picked off the ground. We were out and about uh, since the Ethereum Genesis, the Beacon Chain Genesis. So right when things got, got started. Uh, and then we came across a super interesting research piece by the Ethereum Foundation called SSV, which for us was kind of a way to merge best-in-class security, like what blocks taking offered back then, with the ability to allow um, the average staker to stake less than 32 ETH. Um, so really dove into that, and we kind of understood the potential in that technology and decided to do it full-time. Yeah, and Taylor, if uh, would love to hear kind of how you came into the picture too. Sure. Yeah, I'm relatively new. Been with these guys for just under a month. Um, wow. So yeah, super new. Uh, so my background is a six-time startup founder, uh, originally from Washington, D.C., but I live in Copenhagen, Denmark, and I've been out here for the last seven years. Um, for the last three and a half, I have been running a growth hacking and digital marketing agency that specialized in growth of blockchain and crypto projects. I got really into uh, a number of different DAOs and did some public speaking and actually near protocol uh, kind of pulled me into their ecosystem. So for quite a while, I was approving and reviewing tons of marketing DAO related projects as at first advisor advisor, and then a council member uh, for their marketing DAO. And yeah, I think getting a really granular look at one ecosystem starts to give you a better understanding of the potential of others. And so I was really hungry to get back into maybe something that was a bit more one project and something that had a lot of potential in terms of scalability. And and I started looking for yeah some super unique Im- infrastructure projects. And that's really where I discovered SSV. Um, so yeah, it's been a crazy little ride and there's just so much happening in this space. So yeah, super excited to get involved. Yeah. And I see uh, Matthias has joined us. How's it going, Matthias? Um, yeah, it's it really interesting that uh, the work that you guys are doing came kind of directly out of research done by the Ethereum Foundation. And, and I felt like uh, I, didn't, I didn't make the direct connection, but it did feel like I, I, your roots in there sort of intertwine a lot and uh i'm interested in kind of yeah that that perspective like how closely you're working with ef and you know uh also just sort of your current view on e-staking and and where it's headed knowing that shanghai is is uh coming up soon right so so basically the the work in the beginning on the dvd right now it's named dvt um but on that piece of infrastructure was very sort of tight-knit so we worked a lot with ethereum foundation researchers to create a poc out of their sort of regional research research piece there are a few main sort of contributors to that piece of technology so i think aditya and uh, dunker and and, uh, carl uh, from the ethereum foundation and i think 
they, they kind of, a, a lot of them are involved to a certain extent, but with back then the merge and now Shanghai Update and uh, Dunkard, you might be a bit familiar with that name from, you know, dunk sharding and all that. So they, they have a lot to handle. We essentially reached a point in which we kind of, we have enough expertise in this technology and we're able to execute on our own and we want to work on our own implementation of how DVT should look like. Um, so I think that original working group kind of split up. I'm still in touch, I guess, here and there. Um, but it became like something that is, you know, backed up by a, lot, by a lot of people. There's a community behind it. So it's not like hands-on ECM foundation um, cooperation day to day. But yeah, that was a, a super important kickoff because those guys kind of initiate the, initiated the, the original research piece. And that came to be what is DVT today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and that kind of dovetails nicely. I wanted to talk uh, about your guys' implementation of it uh, more specifically. So I, I guess my my headline question in the uh, first implementation of the SSV network, uh, you know, the main that you guys have uh, coming up, does a staker like the a staking a staker participating in SSV need to contribute thirty two ETH, or is is like if they want to go directly through SSV? I know there's like liquid staking and you know the some of the partnerships you have with staking as a service providers, but if you want to participate directly as a as a staker, do you need to have thirty two ETH, or uh, is there a lower threshold? So so it's kind of it's super important to make the distinction between uh, SSV. And the end user application, like uh, a rocket mm. pool or a Rido. What we kind of want to be or the place that we are aiming for is basically becoming uh, an infrastructure. Mm. All of those companies to build distributed staking applications with best-in-class security um, and best-in-class uh, decentralization practices. Right, So we can connect to anyone in the space, um, from Frex to Stakewise to, to rocket pool and whoever it is. Um, we are sort of in a way, the picks of and, and shovels in the industry. It's not our end goal to reach out to the end user with 32 ETH and, and tell that person to come in and stake their ETH. Also, that's something that is available to anyone because it's an open infrastructure. It's completely open source and you know um, optional for anyone to use. But um, eventually, what we want to be is sort of an infrastructure for those companies that will offer um, you know, LSDs, liquid staking pools, staking as a service, whatever it is, but just do it in a more distributed and decentralized manner. Yeah, uh, that that's a great distinction to draw and, and kind of ticked off my next question. And so maybe a, a good thing to do uh, for listeners, I would love if, if you could talk about the three user classes that you guys have. So stakers, staking as a service, and then kind of DIY stakers, the ones that you guys have identified and, and how they... Uh, how you see them interacting with SSV and sort of the benefits therein. Right. So, so I think from our perspective, our main sort of go-to cohort will be actually developers. So those are mm. companies or, you know, small teams that want to build a next generation staking app or take their existing infrastructure and make it distributed. So it could be anyone from block demon all the way to, you know, smaller companies in space and even, um, individual participants like a DAP node um, operator, right? Um, so eventually, this is what we want to create: sort of a developer ecosystem uh, of people and talents that are able to kind of make this technology more accessible for the end user. Uh, a good kind of uh, comparison would be L2, right? L2 makes transactions uh, faster and uh, and uh, cheaper, uh, but eventually the end 
sort of goal for L2s out there is to have Aave and Uniswap and whoever it is deploy on their code base, right? The same will go for what we call layer zero, which is sort of the underlying security layer um, underneath L1, right? Underneath the Ethereum protocol. So we want everybody to be able to access a distributed decentralized layer zero, and then for them to be able to build second applications for the end user. That's kind of uh, the main cohort that we are targeting. Uh, right now, there are around 40 plus different companies, I think probably reaching 50 different companies that are in different phases of implementation, um, basically creating you know, next-gen staking apps uh, on top of our tech. And our mission is to really make it as widespread as possible. So if you think about it from sort of a long-term vision perspective, what we want to be is to have um, more than 60% of the stake in Ethereum um, staked on top of you know, the, the DVT primitive. Uh, it could be us, could be other companies in space or uh, service providers in the space. But I think this overall will create a healthier, better Ethereum for everybody to use, you know, mm-hmm. for generations to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, that's great. And that brings up a, a question for me too. So around, you know, kind of how DVT works, the kind of sharding of the, the key shares. I'm wondering through the test net and the stuff that you guys done, have, has it a, like a sweet spot of like how many sort of uh, key shares are kind of comprise a single node? You know, is it, is it four? Is it 10? Is, is there some sort of kind of number or range that has emerged? So the basic kind of minimal setup would be four nodes, right? Mm. So instead of having the one kind of validator setup that you have at home or Lido operates or Coinbase, whoever it is, it's kind of the same all across the board. You'll split that specific kind of implementation into four parts, right? Four shard keys. Um, that's that kind of basic setup that you'll see with DVT. Um, then it's not about a sweet spot. It's more about the end user, right? So if it's, for example, a custod- custodian, right? Um, those companies and, and teams are very, very concerned um, about everything that has to do with security so they want to might want to go to you know a, a more robust kind of setup with seven validators sorry seven operators seven nodes right or 10 or even beyond that um then you have the exchanges which again might want to have an additional layer of distribution and, and decentralization so they might want to reach a seven kind of seven would be a speed sweet spot spot for them but then a solo staker or an LSD protocol might want to implement only four nodes, right? So it really depends. I think one what a key component we're missing right now is that there are no DVT implementations that are live on, on mainnet yet. So there'll be a lot of kind of trial and error and a lot of testing being done by a lot of you know different cohorts out there until we reach that sweet spot. Mm. Um, remains to be seen, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and I imagine you know uh, some of it is just kind of raw economics and and sort of cost of uh, storing the chain, running you know a, a number of nodes, and uh, wondering how you guys think about that. I know there's uh, a lot of discussion and, and certainly things on the roadmap to kind of reduce the total uh, chain size that that nodes and and validators have to store. So wonder how you guys think about that and how that kind of plays into the long-term roadmap of how you think people will be using DVT. So, so reduce the chain size that individual operators want to store. That's that's where. Yeah, right. So, so like 
you know, it just takes more resource, right? If you're running seven nodes to kind of comprise your validator and it, there's a lot of of resource that you needed to kind of make that, that happen. Right. So, so I'm not entirely sure it's, it's about chain size, but it's more about the services that you run in order to support the validators operation, right? So if you have right now, you're running, let's say three different services. So validator client consensus and then execution client, uh, in order to stake your ETH. Let's say in a solo kind of or any company um, for that matter. Um, with DVT, will essentially split that setup to four different parts, right? Um, those four different parts could be could mean that you know a single entity or a single operator will run four different machines, or you could open your setup to other companies or other teams or even solo stakers, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine a situation in which you, as a solo staker, you're able to have your own kind of setup in place. But then use three other setups. So it could be uh, your friends, right, that are running solo staking kind of validators as well, or it could be even companies, right? So it could be um, Rockex or Stakewise or Block Demon, whoever it is. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to create sort of um, a distributed uh, infrastructure, and then to allow you uh, the added benefits of being fault tolerant, right? Uh, I've spoken with a lot of solo stakers in the past, and one of the main concerns is what happens if you know something breaks. Uh, what happens in a fork, right? Um, there's some technical knowledge that needs to go into that. So if you have a full tolerance setup, uh, essentially in one of the nodes, let's say your node, God forbid, uh, shuts off or uh, commits like a slashable offense, you have other nodes that are backing you up and will not allow you to commit that slashable offense. So you have like sort of a distributed slashing protection mechanism and you have you know, best-in-class uptime. So if you go down, you're on a vacation on an island somewhere, you still have three nodes that are operating your setup and continuing continuing to test and propose on your behalf, uh, which is super important for soul stakers all the way to companies like Coinbase, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so maybe a, a good thing to do, I, w- I would love to kind of talk about your vision for the type of applications that can be built now that this primitive exists. I was really interested as I was reading, uh, you know, the Stakewise blog post that, that you guys made and some of the things that they were working on and the, the unlocks that happened there. Maybe you could kind of walk me through how someone like kind of specifically like them are using them and what types of things that you're seeing uh, emerge as you guys move through this process. Right. So, so I think a pretty good analogy would be. AWS, right? Uh, the introduction of um, so cloud infrastructure. So in the past, companies used to have their own kind of server rack uh, in their own office or home. And that took a lot of resources and effort and you know, manpower in order to operate. Um, that, in a way, stifled innovation, right? So if you need to work on sort of the user application, you want to create an Uber or you want to create a Facebook, but you also need to run the servers that can support that application uh, that is a lot, you know, in terms of you know, expenses and, and uh, the kind of resources that need to go into that. Uh, and then AWS was introduced to the world. So um, companies and teams were able to kind of focus only on the user application level. Um, and that ushered in, you know, a huge wave of innovation for the industry. Um, DVT will be very similar for the world of staking. So Right now, if I want to create a staking application, in many cases, you mentioned Stakewise, for example, that company will need to run their own nodes. They can connect to someone else, um, like a block demon or figment, or they run their own nodes. That would be the case of Stakewise or even you know, a company like Frax. Um, 
but that's redundant, right? Um, it's basically, if you use DVT, if you kind of implement the DVT-based staking application, then you can detach the uh, user-facing layer. So the LSD, um, the service, the actual UI UX, with you know the sort of the metal, the, the hardware, running the actual nodes and uh, being concerned about you know, key management in the background and security and distribution, decentralization. So let's take Frax, for example. There's, there's some criticism in the space about Frax running you know, their own kind of centralized infrastructure um, while they have a lot of innovation going on in terms of the user-facing uh, sort of DeFi applications that they have created with their uh, liquid staking, um, liquid staking derivative. Um, with DVT, essentially, they'll be able to create, to plug into an infrastructure very similar to AWS, not even be in any way, shape or form concerned about running that sort of bare metal, uh, and then innovate on the user application side, on DeFi, on creating strategies and creating uh, alpha for their users. So I think that kind of concept will usher in a lot of innovation in the space um, and will kind of free the, the entrepreneur's hands from uh, running, you know, and the entire stack, right? Because they'll be able to plug into a mesh network of operators and run validator keys using a DVT primitive. And you see that happening already with stuff like uh, Stakewise V3, right? So Stakewise are basically saying we're not going to run the entire tech stack. We're going to run the sort of the liquidity layer on top of you know the, the infrastructure that will be provided by different sort of uh, providers, right? So it could be a DVT based implementation. It could be a block daemon. In the back end, you see it also with Lido V2, right? Right with their staking router. So they open the infrastructure to other players, and that will free their hands to kind of focus on STEs and their core value proposition. So I think what we are seeing today in the world of staking are mostly companies and services that were kind of conceived uh, two, maybe three or more years ago. And what we'll see following the sort of Shanghai update and the introduction of DVT and potentially other technologies in the future is sort of the new wave of innovation and staking applications coming into the space. So I'm uh, super looking forward to that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested and I want to talk a little bit about the SSV network uh, now and the kind of operators that you're seeing show up. So as you mentioned, the one of the key benefits is that these uh, staking products, applications uh, can focus on, you know, the consumer experience and the sort of value that they're bringing to the, to the consumer, not so much the back end. And obviously that, you know, kind of puts the, the weight on the SSV network and the operators that are contributing, uh, there. And so I'm wondering what you see like coming to be as sort of the, the, the key operators in the network. Is it a lot of like individual independent operators coming in or is it mostly like, you know, robust kind of business, uh, you know, service providers for, for that. Right. So, so it right now it's a mix, right? You have a lot of companies with a lot of experience in running large scale, um, Ethereum staking infrastructure. That's sort of one, um, one type of companies and cohorts that you see in the ecosystem. Then you have, you can go all the way to like a DAP node operator or an Avado operator, which have like the small box at home. And they are able to provide also like great performance and you can distribute your shard keys to those kind of uh, individuals. Uh, and I think it's a super interesting kind of concept to, to have because right now what you see in the space is sort of a 
commoditization, right? Um, you don't see a lot of difference between the performance uh, of, you know, the large kind of staking shops out there and, you know, an individual solo staker, right? In terms of performance, returns, attestation rates, kind of there, there is sort of a benchmark that everybody work around. So I think it's very, very possible that in the near future, uh, companies and individuals and you know, staking kind of uh, liquid staking pool projects will be able to say, I'm going to allocate, let's say, two shard keys to, you know, known companies from the space, and then two shard keys for lower cost kind of depth node operators or smaller companies that I'm able to trust, and then potentially even reduce my cost basis um, by using, you know, different implementations and not sacrificing, let's say, 10% of my staking rewards. So it's kind of a mix. And that's, you know, part of the fun. You have, you know, any type of staker, any type of implementation out there, you can essentially programmatically, programmatically choose from and, you know, have them run your uh, validator on your behalf. And uh, what's the discovery process like for, you know, stakers looking for operators? I imagine, you know, on, on an individual level, and that's probably a, a smaller cohort and like the, the largest cohort using the primitive is probably like a, staking as service providers and people who are going to build applications that uh, add more value than just like a user who just wants to come in, stake and, and get that simple return. Um, it, maybe I'm wrong there. I'm interested in your uh, perspective. I'm sorry, I lost you for a second. So the question is, what will be sort of the main cohort that will kind of use this technology moving forward? Yeah, so so the main cohort where the the largest amount of stake is going to come from, uh, you know, understanding it's probably staking as service providers that are that are sort of back ending with this, and then the the sort of follow up question for for uh, those folks, and also just generally for uh, individuals. Uh, what do you see as like the discovery process, right? Because like in other networks, you know, stake pools, the, the sort of, uh, rub is always like, how do you display a balance of performance and, you know, decentralization to not have like, I'm a person, I come in, I see the top 10 names, I pick one of those names. And then you kind of have a natural, uh, centralization, uh, just from like the way that the user is kind of coming in and, and viewing something. Right. Um, so, so I think there are, there are two kind of sides to this. Obviously, you know, working in this industry for so long with the background that we have, we want to see a lot more solo stakers coming into the, into the space. I think this uh, DVT based implementation will empower a lot of people to kind of make this jump and decide that, you know, I'm going to solo stake. Um, but I have, you know, a broader infrastructure to rely, um, my validator on. So I think this is sort of one side of, you know, the kind of cohorts that will flow into the DVT primitive. Um, on the other kind of side, there are a lot of companies that are managing huge amounts of ETH and, you know, large amounts of validators. Um, and those kind of pockets of ETH in the network create some sort of, you know, um, you could say vulnerabilities in the Ethereum ecosystem um, and they need to be distributed. So our focus is like both on solo stakers so to empower them to have the tools um, to run, you know, a validator without fearing downtime and, and potential slashing. But it's also, you know, the larger staking shops out there. Eventually, I don't think there'll be the case that, you know, more than know, 30% of the entire stake in ETH will be run by solo stakers. I hope that'll be the case. But in the meantime, we need to find technologies to make sure that those like large swaths of, swaths of ETH are essentially 
as decentralized and as distributed as possible. And that movability between those services is basically a no-brainer. So I think uh, in terms of operator discovery, there'll be a lot of companies coming in and using DVT in order to distribute their infrastructure. And their selection base, I think, will be more towards you know, other companies with running the infrastructure and have that peace of mind that you know, it's a reputable company that knows how to handle scale. And from the average staker position, I think um, it could be a mix of you know, both solo staker, solo stakers, uh, and, you know, that kind of an implement, implementation and larger, larger companies in the space. So it's, it's a mix. The, the sort of thing that you need to keep in mind is that, again, that, that this technology is not in mainnet yet. So it's, everything is, uh, remains to be seen. But I think it will usher in something pretty interesting. So right now, if you if you choose like a staking provider, right, an infrastructure provider, in many cases that will not be done um, based on you know performance and cost, you know, because there's a lot of there's a basic commoditization and essentially a benchmark in the space. But some DVT will allow um, staking companies and individuals to essentially have a very, very good view on the performance and the scale for each and every one uh, of the members in the network. So it will essentially attach a network effect to the different operators out there, which is not only reputation-based, right, or service-based, like the case uh, we see today with a lot of the big staking players out there. Um, so this transparency and this added layer of you know um, visibility in the space, I think, will essentially empower people to make better decisions and what we would like to introduce moving forward is a way to compensate people for choosing, you know, uh, minority clients or smaller staking shops, right? For the network to be as distributed as possible, but we need to reach mainnet and that'll be sort of the next, uh, next phase beyond that. Yeah. Uh, and actually that kind of dovetails nicely. I, I'm, I wanted to kind of break apart uh, DVT, the primitive that you guys are working on, and SSV, the token, and sort of the incentives within the network that y'all are building. So maybe if you could talk about that a little more broadly, I, I uh, definitely want to talk about the governance component, but maybe if we could start with sort of the economic component and and the sort of incentives uh, therein for the operators and, and stakers in the network. Sure thing. So so basically, kind of the, the SSV token stands in the midst of, you know, the different counterparts in the, in this ecosystem. So we have validators. So the, those are people with ETH that want to stake this, this ETH and base that, you know, staking on a, on the DVD primitive. And then there are nodes in the network that essentially assist those stakers or companies to run their validators, right? Because essentially as a validator, you distribute your, uh, shard keys to different operators in the network. Now, uh, our intention was first to make sure that those interests are aligned, right? Um, so the way it basically works is me as a staker, if I want to choose a node in the network, let's say a block daemon, um, block daemon will be able to post a price, right? Uh, that will be denominated in, in SSV. Uh, and if that price suits me, I'm able to choose them as one of the nodes that I'm using in order to stake my ETH, right? Um, so I mentioned trans transparency and discoverability. Uh, the idea here is that you'll be able to see all the different pricing mechanisms that exist in the network and then choose based on obviously performance, reputation, but also uh, based on price. Uh, and let's say a new staking company that wants to compete in the space, maybe will lower their price base and, and potentially attract more ease. So I want to create this sort of an open market environment 
And we saw this like taking shape in uh, ecosystems like Chainlink and uh, the graph where you, for example, Chainlink, you'll go into this network and you'll see different um, Oracle providers and that they'll post a, um, a price in, in link tokens. And then if you want to use that Oracle, essentially you'll pay using the link token. So that's sort of the first kind of economic model in the, in the ecosystem. And then moving forward, what we want to do is to use this token to incentivize uh, decentralization, right? So let's say it's not only choosing the, uh, an operator based on cost and uh, the type of setup that they have, the type of clients that they run. It's also um, going, making it as distributed as possible. So maybe allocating um, your staking operation to a minority client, right? I mentioned that before, or to a company that is based in a, in a geography that is not your kind of um, run-of-the-mill setup. So maybe not EU and US, you want to have an Indian team, right? Because you want to have that added distribution in your, um, in your validator setup. So there are different kind of uh, considerations that go into that. And this is something we're going to work on and uh, kind of launch following minute. Great. And uh, I'm glad you brought up Chainlink uh, because I, I wanted to ask a question that that community got a lot in the beginning as sort of like a devil's advocate, uh, which is, you know, to the first part of, of your question about, you know, pricing and, and sort of the discovery therein. Uh, why did you guys decide to use SSV for the pricing and not just sort of have it be a percentage of the ETH rewards or, or something like this? Yeah. Right. So percentage, percentages of ETH rewards is something that is mostly possible in sort of a, a custodial setup, right? Because we don't have any of the keys. We're not able to kind of make sure that, you know, ETH inflows eventually um, go to the bottom. You, you can like uh, direct, there's no output address uh, in, in ETH. You can't like divorce sort of the, the validator from where the rewards are going. Not with DVT because you don't have any control over the both. Right. Uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So it's by necessity you have to, yeah. Yeah, but obviously there's another aspect to it. So, so you are able to potentially charge on deposit. So let's say you, mm. I don't know, I want to take 32 ETH. So I, in that staking process, I, prob- I can charge uh, or the network can charge uh, an X amount of ETH. And that will be sort of a seamless way to, to pay for services. But then um, there are two aspects to this. So, so one, um, it's pretty hard to boost the network without, you know, uh, in an open source protocol without having a native token um, that this native token is super important, you know, to uh, kickstart everything and to allocate grants and to make sure that, you know, that we have kind of the resource to sustain the project, the project moving forward. Uh, and it took two plus years until, um, you know, it, it, it hits mainnet. So um, that amount of time is pretty critical and we, we wanted to work fast until, you know, um, move forward as, as fast as possible because I, we think that it, this is an important kind of technology for the space to have. Um, so the kind of the bootstrapping part is super important. Yeah. Um, and also what we wanted to implement is that kind of the a first in the staking ecosystem is sort of a pay as you go mechanism. So um, if you use like SSV as, um, as a token for pricing and for um, essentially shifting value between different counter- counterparts in the network, um, we wanted to have to provide the ability to kind of opt out of the network and then discontinue any payments moving forward. We couldn't do it with staking rewards, right? Um, but essentially, you'll basically have an SSV balance that will be used for paying those operators that you chose. 
And then once you want to opt out of the network, essentially whatever remaining balance that you have, you can just, you know, uh, sell in the market or um, shift away from the, from the protocol. Yeah. Yeah. That's a much better user experience. I don't think I fully appreciated that you couldn't just sort of direct the output balance of ease because of the, the way the setup was, you know, uh, and, and thank you for clearing that up. I, I mean, I definitely see the value in having it uh, as a governance uh, for, for something, especially like any software that like forms a, a key primitive in this space, like having proper governance around the the sort of continued development of that, I think it's like, you know, the most valid use of, of governance tokens, not just sort of like, where's the, where's the price at, <laughs> which is what a lot of pro- projects end up doing. So I'm glad that you guys have been thoughtful about that. Uh, the, the last question, uh, it, it sounds like you have something. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What I want to add to that, because we didn't kind of touch governance, but essentially, as you mentioned before, if you want to make sure that it's an open source protocol and it's kind of structured as a public good, um, anyone can access it and anyone and everyone should own it. SSV essentially allows us to do that. So we were spot on with kind of the, the government's kind of use case and building a strong DAO that will operate this protocol and this primitive long after we're not here is something that was super important for us to do as well. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just last question on, on some economic stuff. So you mentioned uh, wanting to incentivize minority clients and uh, you know, directing folks to kind of uh, value decentralization within uh, the, the setups that they're choosing. I'm wondering like exactly you know, kind of where the, the sort of funds for th- those incentives, like, like built into like the sustainability in the long term, like how are you kind of bringing in the revenue that ultimately like pays out those incentives? Or is it just like a waiting mechanism for like, you know, you can sort of subsidize prices or, or, or certain things for that? We're still figuring out a lot of the details. We have a um, kind of tokenomics working group within our DAO. Mm. Um, very smart people that are kind of putting the, the, the math um, mm. into play. But basically, kind of the basic idea behind it is, let's say that there is a operator payments that you pay for um, other nodes to run your validator. Mm-hmm. But on top of it, there's also uh, a network fee. And that mm-hmm. network fee will flow into the DAO's treasury for grants. You know how the, yeah. um, that network fee could fluctuate according to your choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and the choices will, kind of good choices and bad choices is something that is also kind of key to governance because I'm not the person who's supposed to say use Prism more or use Lodestar more. But if you have a, you know, a governance body that kind of decides on those parameters, mm-hmm. you're able to essentially create a pricing model that varies according to the end user choices. So this is, uh, this is kind of the basic idea behind it. There are a lot of moving parts to it, but that's what we want to create. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And and what is the, the sort of, uh, network fee that that you guys have uh start out or is it kind of in flux and dynamic so essentially for each and every validator that operates um you know in in the ssv network kind of ecosystem you have the amount of sort of ssv you need to pay the different operators right the different nodes that you choose and on top of it there'll be a network fee which will be probably markedly lower than what you'll pay an average operator but this is sort of a micro fee that will flow into the DAO's treasury um, in order to you know, sustain the protocol, issue grants. Um, yeah, that's basically the idea behind that. Cool. cool. So I, I had a question here uh, about kind of 
competing on values, but I don't know how relevant it is because your guy's product is like pretty much just, do you want more redundancy in your setup or not? Um, cause it's interesting. Our, our last interview was with pocket and we were kind of talking with them about how they, you know, bring in business and, and how they have to compete where, you know, it's like to, to say like, Hey, this is a more decentralized setup is not, you know, there are people for whom that, uh, is, is a very strong case, you know, but I, I think it also has to, you know, provide more value on, on a business standpoint. And so I see that pretty transparently, but I'm, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts, if, if there's been any kind of discussion of that, or does everybody just immediately see the value in DVT and it's just kind of waiting for you guys to launch mainnet so they can switch over? <laughs> so actually the adoption uh, for this technology was pretty staggering. We didn't think that it will, you know, um, attract so many teams from so many places and, be as ubiquitous as it, is, as it is at this point in time, but it seems to be, you know, catching on. When we started, nobody knew about this technology. Right now, it's center stage in every East kind of convention out there. Um, so I do think that a lot of people kind of appreciate this use case. And from a company stand- standpoint, because we are also running uh, block staking, which is a um, kind of a non-custodial staking application. So we really know the pain of running staking infrastructure, something we experience firsthand day in, day out. So this is something we kind of created for ourselves from the get-go. And then we decided this, this should be an infrastructure that should be open and used by you know anyone in the space. So I do think the use case is there. And if you kind of boil it down to the basic kind of necessities and considerations from a sort of corporate standpoint, then... Uh, there is cost reduction, which I think uh, essentially if you don't have your own kind of setup and you use AWS, in most cases, it will be more cost effective than risk reduction for the average user, right? Um, so that's the second kind of consideration. If you have better session protection and better uptime practices, then essentially you know, from that perspective, you are covered uh, as a service provider. The third part would be your ability to compete, which I think a lot of smaller teams or mid to small teams in the space want to be sort of at the forefront of the technology to attract ETH, right? Lido was, you know, the innovation back then and attracted a lot of takers. And you'll see that as well moving forward. It's something that we'll definitely, we're definitely looking forward to. So yeah, so all in all, I think that the adoption is there and eventually if it doesn't cost more and it's kind of provides better security pr- practices for your, for your business, it's mostly a no-brainer. I think the kind of caveat to that is you need to see that this technology applied, being applied on scale um, for quite a significant period of time before you make the plunge and decide, you know, a, a LIDO, for example, or Blockteam, for example, shift their, shift their validator base to something that is DVT based. But this is, I think, an, an inevitability. The last part I would add to that is also anti fragility, right? We saw a lot of companies from Kraken uh, and others kind of in the um, yeah, in getting a lot of fire from, yeah, from regulators and government bodies essentially you know take us one step closer to being more dis- distributed and decentralized industry and will be a lot harder for governments to kind of interfere if you have a distributed setup as, as opposed to shut those validators or shut those transactions because I said so mm-hmm. um, yeah, so there are different aspects to kind of why this um, technology is important and applicable for companies out there. 
Great. Um, and I know we're, we're coming close on time. So I just have uh, a few more. First one is, is kind of a softball, but something that I did want to, uh, bring up. I was actually really, uh, surprised and, and, and just because <laughs> of sort of how this space operates that, uh, you guys have such a high degree of transparency in the budget that you proposed for the DAO. Um, you know, I was looking through the proposals on that and, Normally not something you see until projects are well into their main net, if ever. And I'm wondering sort of where that impetus came from and why you guys decided to be so early about putting that much information out about sort of the back end costs and, and everything that go into that. I think this comes from a lot of experience. So in many cases where you see DAOs, you have more the kind of you know user-facing smart contract layer. In many cases, easier to create and ship out and innovate on. And you have like DeFi Legos that you can use. And we were kind of surprised by how much time and effort it took to, you know, get this technology to reach, you know, mainnet readiness. So this is sort of a forward looking kind of uh, perspective where we say this took a lot of time and it's going to cost a lot more money to, you know, implement other changes and other ideas that we want to see happening. Um, so we, we kind of want to forefront that. We want to be as transparent as possible with the community, with the DAO, and to make sure that we have the needed resources to take this technology to the next level. And that budget is exactly for that. So this is not for essentially reaching mainnet. That's something that we are able to do with the current resources that we have. But there is a lot of moving, moving parts and added kind of features and more teams to be brought on board uh, to support this kind of use case. Um, and those resources are aimed for that. And is the plan to uh, launch mainnet before or after the Shanghai update? After. Yeah. Cool. Um, great. Uh, so last uh, couple, I, I actually just want to ask broadly, like, what are you most excited about in the Ethereum ecosystem at large? Or I, I suppose just what are you most e- excited about? I think that there are a lot of you know, projects and innovations coming out that are going to make, you know, the Ethereum ecosystem, this technology more robust and usable and ubiquitous um, for companies and individuals. And we're going to see a lot of changes happening. There's a lot of focus in the industry right now, infrastructure and building, right? Um, sort of to usher in the next kind of wave of use cases. Um, also, I'm super excited about DVT. I think it's going to be... To 2023 is going to be the year of DVT, amongst other things. Um, and what I'm excited about is kind of the our ability as a space, uh, and I mean that the Ethereum ecosystem to kind of change our the, the way we operate the technology. Um, you know, the fundamentals on which Ethereum operates in order to make it as better as as good as you know as can be, and to essentially allow a lot of Builders and applications to be using this specific uh, protocol in order to, you know, decentralize the world in a way. So I think uh, we are kind of on the cusp of making this transition, uh, where you know um, TPS is not going to be a huge concern and costs are not going to be a huge concern. And uh, just imagining the amount of innovation that can be built on top of that is unheard of. So if you as decentralized as possible and you're super fast and you're super cheap. I mean, that's basically the end goal for the world computer. That's what we wanted to be, where we wanted to be when this entire project started. 
And I think we are actually seeing that light at the end of, of the tunnel. Um, and I'm extremely, um, you can hear it in my voice. I'm extremely excited. <laughs> that. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. The uh, sort of seismic protocol level changes that are going on and something so valuable with so many different competing and combined interests. The fact that, you know, it's able to ship every time, you know, uh, a major milestone is hit in Ethereum. I just get like, I'm smiling ear, ear to ear. Uh, I'm wondering from your seat, actually. So Shanghai happens. Now people can withdraw the stake that they've been sitting on. If you're me since Genesis and, and a lot of others as well. Do you think that there is any like material change that happens in the first couple of months of like people pulling out, putting different places? Or do you think that the staking ecosystem will largely kind of function the same way, obviously with everybody moving over to DVT? But so, so I think uh, we're going to see a lot of changes. I think people, people will pull out their ETH for sure, but I think more ETH will flow into the space because it's a no-brainer, right? Uh, if yes. you have know, the liquidity component, why not just you know put your ETH at stake? Um, so it's definitely a something I'm looking forward to. I think there will be the great reshuffle is something that is potentially going to happen. I think that essentially introducing Shanghai will allow a lot of new innovation to be built in specifically in the Ethereum staking ecosystem. So for example, compounding interest is something that is not super available right now, but will be available very, very soon. And involvement from institutions will be something that potentially will uh, shift um, once you have liquidity and you have like those kind of protocol risks pretty much set and you don't have a lot of kind of moving parts and risks to take from an institutional perspective. So I think it will be a pretty big change. I don't think it will be immediate, but probably in a few months after following Shanghai update, we'll see a lot of things happening. Awesome. Well, yeah, I, that's, that's all I had. Thank you so much for your time and, uh, really excited to see SSV reach mainnet yeah definitely so uh, maybe we'll uh, check in again with you guys uh, after mainnet to see where we are and yeah. Uh, yeah this was fun thanks a lot that would be great alright thanks everyone bye